Well, I also want to say good morning to each of you that are here and also online watching. In the beginning, before anything else existed, was God. A God of creativity and relationship who created the earth and all the cosmos. And at the height of his creation was man and woman, both made in his image, who he uniquely gifted and called into relationship with him. He also, in, he also created the intricate beauty of the earth, and God is creator and invites us to be co-creators in his image, just as Josie so well articulated. Creators of beauty, beautiful music and art, creators of cultures and family, creators of structures and systems, organizations and technology, creators of communities of faith that worship and honor him. Well, this morning you see in front of you here some things that I brought uh, from my office. These are a couple of art pieces that I've been thinking about lately. They have been uh, hanging on my office wall for probably the last 15 or 16 years. And I don't exactly remember what year it was, but some of you were there and you remember the day. It was a leadership training workshop. I think it was a Saturday. And I was leading this one section, and uh, it was all kinds of different volunteers, leaders from our church. And uh, we created this image. And it's maybe not such a beautiful piece of art or two pieces of art, I'm not sure. But what's beautiful about it is the way that it was created. And so the way it was created was um, I built the frame and I trialed in some glue and then we smashed some tiles. And then we had people come up and take a piece of tile and find something that maybe represented them. And they placed it and they put it in place. And then afterwards I grouted it and made it look like this. And so you see lots of intricacies and some details in here. And here you can see there's a flower in here. There is a cross in this one. And there's some sun in this one. There are some tiles that are put upside down by some upside down people. There's one that's put on edge here, which is really sharp and pointy. I don't know what that says about that person. But it's something that to me is beautiful just because of how it was created. It was this representation of the beauty and also the mess of the local church and representing kind of our story together, stumbling after God in transformation, each one of us. And so we'll come back to this a little bit later, but I just wanted to have this in front of us as we talk about creation uh, today. So as was, as was said, we are called to create and also to know God through his creation his created world, in fact, it reveals his character, it reveals his glory. We get to know and see and understand God as we look to creation and we see the created world around us. It points us to God. It tells us who God is. It helps remind us who God is. One of my favorite psalms is, is Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth, pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. And I love those passages that, that talk about how we see God in creation because he is creator. In Romans chapter 1 verse 20, it says for, Paul is writing this, he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And so even as we go out into the world, into creation, as we look at the intricacies of things, whether it's under a microscope or look up at the stars in the heavens at night, 
we see something of who God is. And the story of creation is, is our starting point for the story of God. And as was mentioned already today, we have a, a new series, and I have the privilege of beginning this new series called Storyline. And it's a significant Sunday because it's Thanksgiving, and we give thanks on this Sunday, and I get to preach on one of my favorite sermon series. And I say that because we've actually done this series a number of times, and we've called it uh, different things, but the intent and the outline have been very much the same, and they've been similar. And so today I have the privilege of doing that. And so if uh, you are expecting like some kind of State of the Union address or something like that, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm going to preach about God and his amazing attributes and uh, the creation story. Um, it's really important for us, and I've always just had this conviction that it's so important for us to understand the storyline of God, to understand uh, how when we read Scripture and we read different components of Scripture, how does that fit into this story of God? And it also, as we know, and we've talked about many times, it helps us to understand our own stories and how our lives fit into the story of God as well. And so this series is going to be separated into about eight segments or chapters, and that'll be covered in the weeks ahead as it helps us to understand this big picture and how we are invited into this story. I, I've shared this outline. Uh, we created it many, many years ago. I've shared it with many people uh, over the years, even personally. I did it again just the other day. I, I find that it's just really helpful in understanding God's story and how our story makes sense in that context. So I want to just, first of all, give you a, a really quick overview of these eight chapters to frame it for you in terms of what the weeks ahead will look like. Well, first of all, the book of Genesis captures three of kind of some of the main story lines or the chapters that we see in there. First of all, in Genesis 1 and 2, which we're going to look at a little bit today, we see the creation story. And so that's right at the front end of Genesis. Then if you look at Genesis 3 to 11, in many ways, it's this story of brokenness. It's this story of sin that enters into the world. And then in Genesis 12 to 50, right to the end of Genesis, it's really this story of God's promise and of God giving his promise to his people and then beginning the work of fulfilling that promise. So the book of Genesis lays the foundation for all of history in this redemption story and the fulfillment of God's promise. And it begins with how the cosmos was created, how humanity was created. And then it talks about human beings living in this life of blessing and abundance, which is soon disrupted by their own brokenness and rebellion. That's there within the hearts of each one of us. And then the next four books of the Bible after Genesis, also written by Moses, are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they bring us deeper into this story of the people of Israel as God's people. And we often refer to these as the law. And this is God's covenant relationship with these people and how God said, you are my people. And so therefore, with people that we love, we give boundaries and we give ways that we want them to live that are best for them and best for all people. And that's what God does here through the law and how that role played out in their lives. Then from there, the book of Joshua, right through to the end of what we know as the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Bible, uh, right to the end of that, we see this continual story of rebellion. It's also a story of God's judgment and also an incredible story of grace as well. 
You know, even though we see the rebellion of the people of Israel that continually plays out over and over again, and we see the prophets who always call these people of Israel back to God and back to covenant relationship, we see interspersed throughout the Old Testament just story after story of grace upon grace upon grace as God continues to pursue his people even when they go the other way. And I always find it so astounding in this story of God that the God who created all things, gave us free will to choose or reject him, continues from the very start of the people that he created, from the very start of their rebellion, this pursuit of restoration to bring the blessing of God to all the nations of the earth. And so this continual theme of grace to the Hebrew people is a grace that we also receive to this day. Because then the next chapter that we see is the chapter of God's grace and its fulfillment found in Jesus Christ. And this is found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see the story of Jesus, the grace of God embodied in Jesus as God himself uh, provides the solution to our own sin and rebellion. And we see that articulated in these four accounts that are kind of four different distinct accounts that each have a bit of a different emphasis, but they tell the same story of God, a God who pursues his people, and loves us, and how his promise is fulfilled. As God himself comes in human flesh, beginning as a baby in a manger, and ending his life on earth on a cross, dying on our behalf. So interesting how God initiates his own solution to our rebellion. But it doesn't end on the cross, and we know that because Jesus overwhelmed and overcame the grave. He overcame death. And we have an empty tomb that shows us the truth and the power of the resurrection. Which is why even as Maureen shared today, when someone dies like Ryan, we can celebrate because there is resurrection hope. Life on this earth is not all that we know. And you know, the resurrection is the very central act of this story. Everything in the storyline of God hinges on this one truth, this one promise, this one reality that changes the entire course of history. The resurrection of Jesus, that he has overcome the grave. Then in the next chapter, we see how Jesus gives us his spirit, and the church is born. And we see that from the book of Acts all the way to the end of Jude. And the acts of the spirit are recorded. The acts of the early apostles, the acts of the church, are all recorded in that book that tell us of how this incredible story begins with these reluctant and sometimes stumbling people who are disciples of Jesus who now, filled by the Spirit, start to plant churches, and this movement begins, which continues to this very day. The Apostle Paul and others, they write letters to these churches to encourage them in their faith and to challenge them and remind them of who God is and how this old covenant, this law of Moses, has been replaced now with the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And how this blessing of God is now for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, And how all of us who are non-Jews, the non-people of Israel, have been grafted into this story. And then the last chapter is a chapter called Eternity, which actually is a chapter that doesn't end, never ends. But we see in the book of Revelation how it pulls back the curtain for us to see all that God has in store for us in this never-ending storyline. With every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God before the throne and how God establishes a new heaven and a new earth. And so this is the series that is in front of you, in front of us, this eight chapters or segments uh, that give us windows into God's story. And maybe rather than windows, maybe it's better to, to see it as doorways. 
Because doorways are actually doors that open and, and invite us in. Think of them as doorways where Jesus is standing at the door of your life, knocking, inviting you to consider entering in and seeing your place in God's story. And so God's storyline reveals a loving, relentless pursuit of an, of an extravagantly loving father toward his creation, of which you are the pinnacle. And so that's the sweep of the series. But let's now go back and focus on the first segment of creation. You see, how things begins matters. It's important to remember the beginnings and how God sets things in motion. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings, as the name implies. It's the beginning of the cosmos. It's the beginning of humanity. It's the beginning of the people of Israel. Those are pretty significant beginnings. And the central concern of Genesis is not politics or economics or military power or movement or anything like that, but it's really about God's relationship with us, human creatures, as the pinnacle of his creation. But it does start with the cosmos, as we see in Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And then a little bit further on, it records the beginning of humanity. In verse 26. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God said, blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. You know, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you actually see two creation accounts in these first two chapters. Maybe similar to the Gospels and how you have four different sort of reflections on similar things. We have two creation accounts that come at the creation story just a little bit differently, but each one uh, emphasizes different things, but, but humans are definitely the pinnacle, the apex of this creation. Maybe more in the second creation account than the first one. But as you read through even these two chapters, and we won't take time to read all of them today, there are many things that this creation story reveals. And I want to just highlight six things that help us to understand of what it clarifies. First of all, the creation account clarifies that God created. Now, that might seem kind of odd and obvious to state, but it's really what the intent of the author was, is to, to remind us and to remind those people that Moses was writing to at that time that it is God who created. And this is in opposition to the ancient Near Eastern myths that were there, or the a and &E myths, and you may wonder what that is, and I'm not exactly sure either, but it makes you sound smart when you say that. Um, it's sort of the home of early civilizations. So the ancient Near East was that region of the world where these early civilizations were. Um, and they had many creation myths. They had all kinds of myths of how the world was created. They also had many gods. They had many gods that were part of this as well. Many false gods that were gods for everything. Gods for fertility, gods for the harvest, gods for rain, etc. and so on. Including some of the better known gods like Marduk, Atom, or Baal. Now the author is wanting to tell us that God created, that God created, not so much how God created, 
but just the fact that God created. And so this creation account is written to counter these common ancient Near Eastern myths that were there at that time, and they would have known these in their background. Today in our modern world, we read it with modern accounts, such as the theory of evolution and other things in our mind, but these original hearers would have had different things in their minds than we do. So God created. The second thing is, is that God created out of nothing. God created out of nothing. That there is no pre-existing material from which God creates. Therefore, everything comes from God. Everything depends on God. God brings everything into existence over time in stages. And it's like God is like this potter or this sculptor who is bringing this formless and empty void and he shapes it into functional, beautiful, and ordered creation. Thirdly, we see in the creation account that God simply breathed creation into existence. Just try doing that the next time you want to make a beautiful piece of art or build something. Just breathe it into existence. You know, some of the ancient Near Eastern myths, they had these false gods in a great battle, out of which the earth was somehow formed out of this great battle that was happening. But the creation story is very different, and it counters that. And it's just simply saying how God is the God who is the star breather. Just as it says in Psalm 33, where it says, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. God just breathed it into existence. And fourthly, how God is separate from creation but involved. How all of creation expresses God's sovereign will and design but remains distinct from the creator. How God is supremely other but very involved. He didn't just create and set the world in motion and then step back and, you know, to see what humans make uh, a mess of, of things and then suffer the consequences. Actually, we did make a mess of things, but then he himself suffered the consequences, as we'll see further on in the storyline. Then five, God created with design, beauty, and intentionality. The world was not created out of random chance, but it was created with intelligent and loving design by a creator, God, who invites us to continue to co-create with him, as we heard at the beginning. He placed within each one of us a desire to build, to plant, to imagine, to create, because as the last point and the sixth point is, God created us in his image. In his image. So being created in him, his image, we are created to create. But it also means that we have intrinsic worth and value, and even some of his glory in some ways that we don't really understand. But both male and female created in his image and reflecting his glory. And how this intrinsic worth and value is there right at the beginning of life, even before we are born, and also at the end of life, when we might be sick and dying and have no useful purpose to the world anymore. Of how every single person has value, worth, because of the imprint of the living God upon us. So no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what stage of life we're in. As one commentator, Tremper Longman, says that therefore this means that those that we love, dislike, agree with, or disagree with, annoy us, bring us joy, 
all are created in the image of God and should be treated with our deepest respect and concern. Those of all races, both genders, different sexual orientations, professions, occupations, rich and poor, all reflect God's glory and represent his presence in the world, end quote. In other words, each one of us, as sinful, broken, but beautiful creations of God are made in his image. And so the creation story is important to our story because it confers on each one of us dignity, identity, responsibility, capacity, and creativity. So I want us to see and understand that the the Genesis creation account is more concerned with the who and the why more than the when and the how. And sometimes we get so caught up in the questions that the writer of Genesis never really intended to answer. We wanted to answer all the scientific questions that we bring to it, like in terms of our timelines, and was it an actual six days, and how did it exactly all work? And Genesis isn't opposed to science, nor is it threatened by it. In fact, Genesis and the creation account is actually confirmed and affirmed by scientific research over and over again because God created science. It helps us to understand his creative story. But it's just that these aren't the questions that this part of God's storyline was intending to answer. You see, Genesis is a theological history to give these high-level answers to what the common myths were of that day to help people to see and know the who created and why he created rather than the when and the how. And so what about the New Testament? How does the New Testament help us to see the creation story in a fuller perspective, looking back through the lens of Jesus. And I want to just look briefly at two passages today in that regard. First of all, in John chapter 1, the Apostle John was one of his early disciples who walked with Jesus. He was there throughout his earthly ministry. And here's what John says at the very beginning of his account of the gospel story of Jesus as he starts to articulate who Jesus is at a very, very high level. He says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, this is one of the most beautiful passages on creation and who Jesus is in the creation story. And John was often reflective in his account of Jesus' life and ministry about light and darkness. He saw the darkness in the world, saw the darkness in our own human hearts, and he referenced this light of Jesus that broke in and that the darkness could never extinguish it. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, he wrote a somewhat similar account that has some similar language to what John wrote, and he said it this way. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see, the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. 
He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Wow. Paul does such an amazing job of compacting God's story into that short text. And so Genesis lays the foundation of God's intent for us, for the creation story, God's story. God's design and intent for creation, for sexuality, for identity, for cultures, for cities, and for people. And these passages that we just read here in the New Testament also remind us of the completeness of Jesus and the participation of Jesus as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this story. And how our own personal stories, again, only make sense in the context of the bigger storyline of God. And so the creation part of God's storyline allows us to truly see, I believe, how great God really is. And to worship him and to tell others. And this is the role and the privilege of the church. Is to declare to the world how great God truly is. This is our collective story. I want to conclude and just shift a little bit. As I've been uh, walking through the last couple of weeks. I've been in the book of Colossians. That's just in my own devotional time. I've been reflecting on that text similar to the one that I just read here. And I've also obviously been reflecting on these last days in my role as lead pastor. And on Friday, we had, uh, at a prayer time, we had a week of prayer and fasting that Don called our church to. And on Friday uh, at the noon prayer time, I I shared this one verse that I want to leave with you today from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And it's not directly part of this creation story. It's just shifting to wanting to give you a a challenge, a word of encouragement, a place to focus as you continue on in this story of God. And in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And I love how that passage ends with that phrase, you will overflow with thankfulness. Just as you accepted Christ as your Lord. And if you haven't done that to this point, even this day, today, you can do that at any time just to say, Lord Jesus, I believe, and I give you my life. And for those of us who have done that many years ago and have walked with Jesus for a long time, that we would continue to follow him, as Paul says, continue. That we would let our roots grow down into him. And there's that granular, that soil imagery of our roots into soil. And then he says, let your lives be built on him. And then this analogy of of a building and builders, and, and that our lives would be built on the foundation of Christ. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. And you'll overflow with thankfulness. And so I pray that this passage for you will be your reality. And that you'll overflow with thankfulness. I've been very much overflowing with thankfulness in these last days. So thankful for this church. As I think about these mosaics and what they represent to me. So thankful for all of the staff, the leaders of each one of you, and the privilege to work together. Uh, So thankful for my family and each of my girls, especially so thankful for Lisa. 
I was doing so well till then. who's been so supportive. Thanks. Ah. But lastly, I want to leave you with another passage. One that has been so significant for our church. It's a passage that also talks about building and gardening. It's one that keeps showing up in our history. I remember, I think it was back in 2004, 2005, when we were about to celebrate our 40th anniversary as a church, uh, and I spent time going back into our, some of our historical documents and looking at the history of this church. In this passage, this passage kept showing up, and I know it's been a significant one. Throughout the decades, uh, as different leaders come and people come and serve, and as the church continues to change and evolve and take different shapes, and I think it's very appropriate for today and this season of transition that we're in. And it's this beautiful passage that Paul is talking about. And he's talking about the resilience and the beauty of the church and how it's only God who makes things grow. And it's in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 11. Paul says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom he believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. And, Lord, I pray that as a church and for each one of us, that we would continue to follow you. That our roots would go down, grow down into you. Lord, let our lives be built on you. And God, would you cause our faith to grow strong in the truth that we've been taught through all the ages, through all kinds of different people, and more to come. And Lord, will we overflow with thankfulness today. So God, we praise you, and we give you thanks. Thanks.